Hey everybody, you're listening to Big Things with Zach Miko, and on today's episode, I sit down with model, actress, writer, and entrepreneur, Julie Henderson. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the theme song. Welcome, everyone, to Big Things with Zach Miko. As always, I am your host, Zach Miko. Thank you for being here each and every week. Hope everyone's having a wonderful July so far. It's, guys, it's halfway over. The summer's almost done. It's crazy. We're at like the halfway point already. What, what, how did, how did this happen? Who do we blame? How do we fix it? We don't. We just enjoy the time we have left. Um, so go out there and and do your summer things. Go hiking and go to the beach and 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 eat a lot of ice cream. And if you're dairy free, eat a lot of sorbet. Um, we have a wonderful show for you guys today. I sit down with model, actress, writer, entrepreneur, athlete. She, I mean, it's everything. She does everything, and she's absolutely amazing. Julie Henderson, everybody. I am super, super excited. I had asked her back on a beach in Anguilla if she was willing to be on this show, and to my delight, she was. Um, this was a great one for me because Julie is someone I have deeply, deeply admired ever since I started modeling. She's one of the game changers, one of the people who paved the way. Um, it's, it's super exciting to actually get to sit down, and the wealth of knowledge that comes off of her and the wealth of spirit is just it's just so, she's so impressive, and she has helped me in my career without even knowing it, so this was a big one. This was very exciting. So I'm going to stop ranting about it. I mean, you guys, I mean, that's enough of an intro, don't you think? You need to get right to it. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, my interview with Julie gentlemen i am sitting here with model actress businesswoman entrepreneur extraordinaire writer writer we gotta go through all the credits provider of snacks to me hair whisperer uh, <laughs> julie henderson everybody thank you what's happening thank you for coming to brooklyn no i know it's not that far of a trek did you bring your passport? I did. I did. They stamped it uh, in Greenpoint. Okay, yes, perfect. <laughs> so we're good to go. As soon as I crossed over, they're like, all right, you can come. Welcome, Just so, welcome I have a, I have a Brooklyn visa, so that's always good. Um, but for those of you who don't know, uh, Julie's absolutely amazing. We met, I was trying to think about this. I think I'm, we met at a casting or a go-see. I think someone came into the IMG office doing just like a general go-see of like all the curve people. And I was, so it was, you know, all everyone and just me. <laughs> and they were a little confused why they were meeting me, but I was like, don't worry, I'm here, it's fine. Um, and yeah, no, I, met, I think I met all of you. I met like you and I met like Inga and Terilyn and Marquita. Marquita. I'd already met Marquita, oh. but, but that's the thing. But I met you all at the same time, and it was very overwhelming because I'd only been in the agency for like 
couple weeks and then here's like you and all the other powerhouses just like walked in and I was just like oh guys I'm here but you were so lovely and kind and well nice. I think we met on a photo shoot we were doing like an Instagram post outside correct yeah 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 and no. it was lovely like being the first has its ups and downs, doesn't it? The first brawn model. Yeah, it's weird, but it's also great and, and fun. Well, I know, I know, similar to you, what it means to be the first. Like, yeah. when we first came to IMG, they sent us to all these castings yeah. just to say hello, and people ignored us. People were like, what, is, what are they doing here? Oh, they don't know what to do. The first time I went to a different agency besides IMG, I had a, 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 a meeting with another agency who I will not name, but I don't yeah. think they exist anymore. We don't so name names, do we? I know, exactly. We name, main, we name <laughs> names off mic. But um, I went there, and, there, and the receptionist... I walk in, and the receptionist says, oh, good, you're here. And I said, oh, were they, were they waiting for me? And she goes, yeah, you're late. And I was like, I'm, I didn't know, I'm, I'm early, I think. And she goes, aren't you the electrician? And I was like, oh, no, I'm here for a meeting. And I was just kind of like, oh, okay. People just assume whatever, don't they? Oh, it's so funny. And not only that, she was ready to like yell at me too. It wasn't like. Wow, well, I remember we had one of our first castings, I'm not gonna name names. Yeah. We walked in. It was just me and several, like Inga. Like we all different sizes. Yeah. And they wanted us to try on clothes, but they only had size zeros and twos. So oh you know what God. I did? No. I put on the size two jeans, which came up to my calves, and I walked out. As you should. As I should, just literally with my, you know what, hanging out. Good. And I walked with pride. Yeah. And I was like, no, you need to get sizes for all women. And I'm not ashamed of my body. No, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. I, I deserve to show, you know, I deserve to be in this casting. You just can't get the clothes. I mean, this company, funny enough, one of their best sellers is plus size. Oh, plus, now, But they don't advertise. Yeah. No, it always has been. Yeah. And we have this joke. We had this joke in plus size where it's similar to so many designers sell our sizes, but they don't advertise it. So oh, it's like yeah. They won't take us to the prom, but they'll sleep with us. Oh, I know. Oh, no, that's exactly. Oh, it's the same in big and tall. Mm -hmm. Same in. Oh, there's so many menswear that like I will model their stuff for other companies. <laughs> so like when I show up to like I'll, I'll be shooting not for the brand, but I'll be shooting for like the big box store that the brand mm. uh, has their clothing in. And I'll be wearing all these designer labels that I cannot, and you wouldn't like that. Not only that, like some designer labels, labels who've been like vocal about like being disgusted by bigger people. Oh. And then I show up and I wear their clothes and just, but it was because like there's, there's very specific ones again. Mm -hmm. Sorry, everybody, but we'll, <laughs> we, we still work in this industry. Yeah. We need to play nice. Um, but no, there's so many people who have like, that, that will not design for bigger bodies. And yet bigger bodies, if bigger bodies stopped buying their clothing, they would go out of business exactly. like that. They exactly. It's crazy. But I think it's something about being the first. And that's why I've always applauded you and always had a special place in my heart for Aww, you. Because thank you. We've kind of traded the same waters. Oh, yeah. No. You know? I'm following in your guys' footsteps. Well, I've been around 18 years modeling, so you know, I know. I'm turning 41 in two weeks. What? So, yeah. <laughs> July no 21st. No idea. Yes. God, you're so... I mean, not that 41 is old at all, but you have always been a mystery age-wise. I never knew how old you were. Oh, I forget how old I am. <laughs> oh, it's, my God. I, mean, I only know how old I am because... I mean, I guess ever 40, like, oh, I'm going to be 40 or 41. Yeah. And I must say, I, every year it gets better and better. Yeah. And it's interesting to witness the fashion world and how far it's come along. Yes. And how much it's changed. Yeah. And things I do and do not like. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, it's just compelling to watch. No, it, it's... Like a it, TV show. It's like a soap opera. Oh, yeah. And it's so different. And it's like things that were... 
taboo or like never done in the industry like even two years ago Mm -hmm. are now on like billboards and going just because I think a lot of the things with the fashion industry in general is the fashion industry is playing like catch up to like human consciousness Mm -hmm. it's like we're already like you know not everyone because there's some terrible people but most people are already like evolved past a certain way of thinking and the fashion business is like running to catch up just being like oh you guys are okay with this now okay we're coming we're coming it's weird yes and no because in somehow sometimes fashion actually makes things that are weird and eccentric cool yeah oh you're right like they made i mean for a long time curly hair big afros big curls was never cool but fashion made it cool made the wild and crazy coils cool like huh. n- now curls are in. Yeah. But I'm, no. I'm mixed. My mother is white. My dad is black. And mm-hmm. I've had this, this hair that for a long time I thought was unmanageable. And it was just wild and out of control. And fashion, there's a period where they made this wacky hair look really cool. Yeah. So there is little, there's doorways and pathways where fashion can actually give hope. Yeah. And inspiration and you know, artistic expression to things that aren't cool. Totally. I think it's it's when uh, the fashion industry finally starts listening to the creatives within the industry that those things start to break out. Because I always feel like the designers, the stylists, the art directors, the photographers always want to do something more and something oh, cooler. But the people who control the purse strings are always like, oh, well, this is what worked in the past. We really want to stick to that. And that's how we got like caught in this tiny little box of like just crazy standards for so long just because that was what someone in you know one of the big like companies knew would sell so they just like stuck to that for so long i'm always fascinated by this because when was marilyn monroe alive what 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 i mean she died in the 60s okay but her body her smallest she was a size 12 yeah no exactly her era her body was the thing to be yeah she was the wanted woman oh absolutely and and even before that it used to be larger frames were always associated with uh with wealth and with power and with everything fertility fertility and then i mean if you look back at some of the first images we have created by the human race of women mm-hmm. the old sculptures are like these fertility sculptures of a of a very well-to-do large woman <laughs> robust very robust i'm like i'm like what's the, what's the scientific term for this <laughs> no but it's true all the original ones that's what it looked like and yet it, it's just it goes with these waves well, then twiggy came i know and and who i love but it's it's still it's kind of like i don't know it's, well you know what i miss I miss the 80s and 90s supermodels. Yeah. Because those women, they had curves, they had mm-hmm. vavoom, they had sex appeal, but they had this mystery to them. Totally. And this almost untouchability, but still approachable. Yeah. And still, you could almost like, oh, I could almost be like that, but not quite. And I know. I think that's, to me, what I see missing a lot of, not missing, but it's just different. This culture is so this new culture that's alive and Instagram models yeah. and this whole, everything's a filter and everything's retouched and everything exactly. is so there and exposed. Everything, no. people get famous by exposing. Yeah. And I remember I had this one amazing hairdresser tell me, he's like, Julie, I miss the days when you'd have Cindy Crawford walk in or Tyra Banks and you just held your breath. Yeah. Because those women could just stop a room. Yeah. The way they walked, they were, they were friendly and kind, but yet there was something <gasps> mysterious and untouchable. Yeah. And they, they were actually had so, so much skill. I know. Like modeling is actually a skill. People don't realize it's an art form. Oh, it's so much hard. Look, I learned that <laughs> the hard way. I had no idea what I was doing when I first started. And now I'm, I'm, 
I'm proud of what like where I've come in my skill wise. Mm-hmm. But even me, because I came from outside the modeling industry, I didn't think there was skill involved. <laughs> yeah. And God, was I like just thrown it. Even now, even now when I take photos of my friends, mm-hmm. I'll like, and I, I, I'm not trying to be like judgmental of them, but they're like, can you take a photo of me? Like, sure. And I'll like do this and I'll start taking photos. They'll be like, did you get it? And I'm like, I'm still getting yeah. it. I'm still taking photos. I'm like, keep moving, keep doing stuff. Keep. And then like, I'll even ask them. They'll be like, okay, I'm smiling. I'm like, that's not a smile. You aren't, this is how, not how you smile. This is like how you, you know, your third grade school picture, you maybe smile, but you don't look happy at all. But people you look don't like, realize it's actually a form of self-expression. Totally. But it's just in frame, 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 frame. Yeah. So like I'm, I've been modeling 18 years and I'm still learning. Yeah. I still learn. And I'm like working, like I work with Candace Huffine a lot. Yeah. And I secretly, I'm like, Candace, I'm watching you. I, wa- I actually copy her moves. Mm-hmm. And there's things of hers I take, take as my own. And Justine Legault, like Ashley Graham. There's yeah. Ashley's his hair, she's his hair trick. I'm like, yeah. oh, how can I do that? And <laughs> it's just really a form of self-expression. It's between you and the photographer. Absolutely. It's a dance. It's, it is exactly a dance. And sometimes you learn good dance moves from watching others. I do the same yeah. thing whenever I'm shooting. There's this uh, one model named uh, Chris Collins who I've learned most of what I know how to do from just watching him. Because mm-hmm. from four years ago when I started modeling, we just happened to work together a lot and he you know same he's been modeling for 20 plus years Mm -hmm. so I just like followed everything he did and I feel like I got like the fast track school of modeling Mm -hmm. with being able to shoot with him so often which was like it's so beneficial oh I got so lucky how do you feel when they say do nothing when oh when they say the direction is do nothing don't model don't model I so the only (laughs) reason I I feel like I can handle those types of directions is because, and and also one of the only reasons I got, I was able to jump into modeling pretty quickly is because I did come from a theater background Mm -hmm. and I came from an acting background. So when they say do nothing, when they say act natural, do nothing, I know that I still have to have a life, an energy, a purpose when I'm there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They'll just go, all right, I won't do anything. And I'm like, no, you still need to. I always tell people, they're like, what is a good way to take a photo? And I said, okay. I was like, look into the camera and think of anything. Just think of anything, Mm -hmm. but have a thought. Mm -hmm. Think of something. Don't just like go into that. You have to have not even an intention, but just something to spark your See, brain. This is where modeling to me could be complex. Yeah. Because one of my bookers told me, he goes, Julie, sometimes you may be too smart for modeling. You, I can see you have too much going on. Oh my God. <laughs> he goes, some of the best models are the dumbest people I know. They literally oh. have nothing going on. Oh, it's, it's a so. blank slate. But for me, it doesn't work for me. I mean, everybody ticks differently. Yeah. And some girls, I mean, I'm always shocked watching this business. Some girls have literally, you can feel no life force, but yet in front of the camera, Somehow the camera just wants them and needs them. And they yeah. just, like Inga, Eric's daughter, who's full of life force, but she uh-huh. cannot take a bad picture. Yeah. She literally can't. She's just made for the camera. But, I mean, it's fascinating. I couldn't get away with it. If I was nothing inside of me, I couldn't do it. Same. You would know right away. Oh, I look, My, I look mean or I look like I'm... Yeah, I have like just resting Neanderthal mm-hmm. face. If like I do that, I just look dumb and emotionless and expressionless and it looks creepy. I yeah. look like I look like <laughs> the guy in like, I don't know, in like the wanted ads in the back if I don't. Just because I do, it's, it's I need to be... Also, it's... It's also the way I found purpose in modeling was to me approaching it as an actor. Mm-hmm. Each time you go on as a role, like I always ask 
before we start shooting, I'm like, so what are we doing? What are we trying to go for today? You know, because some people don't, they just like start taking pictures, but I need to know like right away, like not only, I know what we're selling, but I'm just like, what is this? What is this guy? What, what image are you guys trying to sell? Like I used to, to name, who am I? I'm like, I used to for Talbots. I'm like, oh, I'm Claire Huxtable today. Oh, like, <laughs> I'm a lawyer. You know, I have children. I dress a certain way. I always name my character. Oh, so I can actually could. be that character all day. Yeah. And I'd actually become Claire Huxtable. Oh, your, on set. your characters are way better than mine. From my characters change depending on what I put on. Yeah, it does. And, and in the beginning, it was a lot of like, oh, I'm a middle school shop teacher. Okay. That's good. Okay. And now, hey, that sells. No, exactly. It does. Hey, middle school shop teachers need to dress. So yeah. that's fine. So, um, we, we, we just dove right in. I love that. So, uh, originally, you are from, are you from Michigan? Yeah. Or, oh, okay, good memory. Good. I do. I okay. knew that. Okay. okay. So, you're originally from Michigan. Yes. Uh, brothers and sisters, you're one of four, I believe. Yes. Cool. How did you know that? Oh, I, because I know, I, I'm a fan. <laughs> oh, it's easy okay. to know that. Um, so, you guys, uh, so you grew up in, where in Michigan were you guys from? Ann Arbor. Where oh, the University of Michigan is. Very cool. And you, but you didn't end up going there. You ended up going no, to Notre Dame. I'm a big trader. Oh, you are a big trader. Well, <laughs> I, I grew up a basketball fanatic. Yeah. And I grew up watching Wolverines, men's and women's. Totally. Like my whole childhood was watching the Pistons and Wolverines. It's so fun. So I come from, coming from New England, mm -hmm. um, we did, we were never into school sports. And it's so really? interesting to me to see. Um, like my wife's from the South and it's, they don't care about national league, anything. It's all school teams and same with, I've noticed in the Midwest, it's a big thing, but for some reason in the Northeast, it was all the pro teams uh -huh. with the exception of, um, I am from Connecticut with the exception of Huskies basketball. Oh, like, <laughs> besides the, uh, <laughs> of course, I mean, what else did they do in Connecticut? What other sports teams? No, we have nothing. Exactly. We had the Hartford Whalers and then they, Who are they? they were an NHL football. team okay. and they left and went to Carolina. They're now the Carolina Hurricanes okay. and we have a WNBA team. We yes. have the Connecticut Suns and then we had think that's it there was always rumors of other pro teams move, like the Patriots almost moved to Connecticut mm. at one point and the Islanders almost moved to Connecticut <laughs> but like no one ever does because it's I, hey I'm his friends Connecticut yeah. I love Connecticut yeah, but I but totally get it yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's not uh not known for for uh it, w people in Connecticut either even who are from there we either absolutely love Connecticut or hate it or you're like me where you don't realize you loved it until you left. Um, and then after a while you're like, oh, I'm actually really like, I'm pretty proud about that. So it's Well, fun. I have to admit, I'm not a big fan of Connecticut just because of my disdain. Well, not disdain. My, I say my competitive nature. I was going to say competitive more than competitive, anything else. Competitive. And yeah, one of my best friends is from, played at UConn. So I've tried to be respectful of it. But yeah, I'm a bad loser. Yeah. 20 years later. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah. But still. So, so I've been to stores many times. Come. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's great. There's what's crazy about stores and like where Yukon is, is there's nothing around mm -hmm. for like 50 miles in any direction. Mm -hmm. And then you just come into this huge campus and then you leave and you go into, I don't know, farms and like the edge of the Indian reservations. And then like, that's a, like, there's nothing in that area. It's all forest. And then this giant school with a giant stadium. Well, it's great for women's basketball. Oh, they're so amazing. Good. Oh, so they're good. amazing. I remember I mean, they haven't missed the playoffs in like the last, I think it's 12 years straight. Well, it's called the tournament. Not the Not playoffs, play the tournament. <laughs> 
They haven't met. Notre Dame beat them again this year in the Final Four, by the way. They did. I'm just saying. Uh, like no, two years, no. you know, back to well, how many years? Anyways, I don't think. I'm not bragging though. No, that's fine. I don't know anyone playing. Okay. I'm too old at this point. <laughs> when I was when I was in college, yeah. Then I would have been. See, this Notre Dame, we're all connected. No matter how old we get, like the alumni and the players, I still we talk. We oh, go to I the bet. games. We're like we're especially the basketball team. That's We're a, family. See, that's something I wish I had. Like, I, I went to a small uh, college in New Haven, and then I moved to uh, New York to go to the American Academy of Dramatic Art. Mm. And one thing, there's always that little part of me that I'm like, I kind of wished that um, I'd gone to, like, one of those big D1 schools just to have that, like, feeling of camaraderie that everyone seems to have. Well, it helps having it being on a team. Yeah. I'm not sure if I would have had it if I just was a student. No, true. Because being on a team, it's like being in battle every day. Oh, yeah. And literally, I remember one of my teammates figured it out. We got paid like a dollar eight cents a minute for all our work. We got scholarships. Yeah. Say Notre Dame is 80000 a year, let's just say. Okay. And all the time we put in, like you have practice before, you have three or four hours of practice, 6 a.m. practice. Yeah. You, you leave the gym by 10 after weights. Then you go to class. You come back at three, two days, and then you practice from three to six. Then you go home and eat, and then you got to study. Yeah. That's your life for four years. That's it, just being, that's just like the minimal. So your life is basketball and school. And so you go through hell with these girls. You go through torture. You go through hardships, breaks, you know, basketball can be such a great teacher for life. Oh yeah. I'm still learning lessons. I'm still. Team sports in general. Like I, I wish that people, a lot of people that I know have grown up with like a disdain for sports. Hmm. And I understand why coming from like the nerdier sect or hmm. like, usually it's people like myself who, now I mean, I played team sports, so that's not entirely accurate, but it's like people who weren't the popular kids felt weird about it. I still have friends of mine who are like, grown men who all say something about like a game or a score in front of me and they'll be like ugh are you talking sports and I'm just like yeah I just it's like they held on to that weird like jocks versus nerds thing for like their whole life and because they hated like the kids in their high school who were on the football team so much that like they just it's like they just held on and you never got into sports and like I always feel bad for people I'm like what's cool about sports is it's just it's a humanity stripped raw it's like just such a focused straightforward thing go score more points than the other team. And what you have to do and how you have to work together and the strategies you have to use, I think are so cool to watch. It's the only TV I still watch live and on TV is sports. Just because it's, I don't know, it's that feeling of anything could happen. It refuels you. Yeah, no, absolutely. It literally fills your tank up with gas again. Yeah, it gets so exciting, and, and especially if your team's doing well. Instant points, you get points right there. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it's great. Oh, I love sports, but but I understand, and I, I just wish people would like kind of like let go of their old hang-ups. Because a lot of people, that, and I understand, because I've like tried to watch it with my friends, and they're like, what is even the point of this? And I'm like, I'll tell you the point, and you might enjoy watching the game, but mm -hmm. it, there's like that initial chip that kind of has to mm. go away in order to appreciate it. But then I have s similar friends on the other end of the spectrum that I'll try to watch Game of Thrones with them, and they're <laughs> like, oh, what is this, there's dragons? I'm like, stop, stop. Oh. I was like, get rid of that like anti-nerd chip yes. and enjoy it, because it's just, a, I don't know. It's well, just, there's room for both in your life. Exactly. And I mean, I from I mean, I've always been a basketball player since I was nine. Yeah. But I also was 
my dad, very intellectual, very smart. Like my dad barely watched TV as a child. Well, your father was a doctor. I, yes. I don't know. I'm just going <laughs> to oh keep throwing out like. My father has an amazing thing. story. He actually flunked out of high school. Oh my God. They, I mean, they passed him with all D's. Yeah. Because they wanted, he was, you know, he's 77. So he was a black kid in, in the South. Yeah. Well, actually in Michigan this time, but they just wanted to get him out. So they totally. gave him all D's. And they wanted to put him in the factory when he was after eighth grade. But his mama said no. And eventually, you know, they you know, heard the stories of musicians that they found, they saw the piano, they could just suddenly play. Yeah. Well, my father describes, he discovered medicine and all of a sudden he could just play. It just made sense. It just made sense, even yeah. though he flunked out of high school. And he said, like he, he was an ER physician, a surgeon. Yeah. And he said, when I see a gunshot wound in the head, I start to drool. Oh my God. He gets so hungry for it. Just because it's a thing where he's it's like, no one, no one else knows how to fix he's this. He's wired for do. that kind of yeah. pressure when literally a millisecond makes all the difference. Amazing. And so I grew up with the first, I grew up, my whole childhood was every day he came home from work. Yeah. Who died that day or how, Jeez. what he could have done differently or who, who lived and why. So I grew up with death every day. Yeah. It was like a fairy tale, but it was my dad's stories in the ER. Yeah. And he also knew every way to die. So it was like, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't. I was like, oh. my mom, did, my mom was a, an ER receptionist. Oh, that was okay. her job. She was like, she, she was part of the admitting team for mm -hmm. the ER. Oh, yeah. So her job was to like run next to unconscious people and just being like, can you tell me what insurance you have? Which is oh, like just God. the saddest part to bring it up. But it's the way hospitals run sadly. And like, she did the same thing where I remember, um, telling her I wanted to ride a motorcycle when mm. I was like a teenager. And I was like, I think I'm going to buy a motorcycle. She's like, absolutely not. And I was like 16 and I was like, well, I'm just going to do it. You know, I'm going to eight, two years. I'm <laughs> going to be man. 18. I'm going to be. And then she was like, okay. Uh, she goes, you can come to the ER the next time. So I'll give you a call. The next time a man comes in with the skin from Ugh. his knees to his shins rolled down and peeled up to his ankles because they were stripped off as he was flung over the handlebars. Mm -hmm. and she goes, I see that twice a week. And she yep. goes, you, and I was like, oh, okay, I won't do that. Yep, ER stories change your life. Oh yeah. No drunk driving for me. I no. Mean, paranoid about so many things. The most, even now I'm 40 years old. I'm like, oh, oh, I could die this way. I had my dad. <laughs> Just the programming, <laughs> like even drugs to this day. I'm not really big on drugs. I mean, I'm because my dad told me, remember, I was like 12, and some he actually worked in some famous football player that tried cocaine one time, mm -hmm. but his body was so clean and the coke, something wrong with the coke that it gave him an overdose and he died. Ugh, and I had this terrible. instant horrification of drugs since I was 12, no desire. No, same. No, I grew up, I never, I never did anything yeah. like my whole life. I didn't start. And a matter of fact, I was like two years into college before I had my first drink. So I didn't, I did drink before 21, but oh. that was, I, well, I've smoked mar marijuana a few times. I know exactly. Wild side. I know exactly. That's the tamest <laughs> I've ever been. Hey, but like I had, you know, I had friends in high school yeah. who were just like, you know, I'd be sitting next to one friend and he would just start throwing up and I'd be like, what happened? They're like, oh, he took a box of something. I'm like, what? Why? Why would he take that? Like, just weird, just weird stuff. Yeah. And I just never had that need to um, experiment to that degree. No. It always really freaked me out. Actually. But also I never had the freedom to. Yeah. Because oh. I was playing, my dad was, like my job was school and sports. Yeah. And then my, I had everyone was very, you know, controlling, not controlling, but yeah. I mean, he was a dad that was very observant. Same with, yeah. So he knew everywhere I was going. So I didn't have time. Exactly. To even fool around. I really. always wondered that. And I was like, when like my friends were doing stuff like that, I'm just like, how do you sneak yeah. away to do that? Or how do your parents not notice? Also like weird things where they're like, oh, we're having a party at Tanner's house because his parents are away for the weekend. And I remember my first thought was, 
parents go away for the weekend? My parents have never done that. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. Like, no, take me with them. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I was like, no, if they're going, I'm going on vacation. Exactly. I wasn't allowed to stay at home no, by myself. Never. Like, I couldn't be trusted. Like, well, there's never even a thought. I know. So, yeah. Oh, my God. So, you actually ended up, so you went to back to Notre yeah. Dame. So, you yes. went to Notre Dame yeah. on a basketball scholarship, played an NCAA tournament, uh, won, correct? Came close. Well, that I've, the year. Uh, seen. No, no, no. Your dad was a doctor. Um, no. Getting <laughs> it close. I graduated in 2000. In yeah. 2001, Notre Dame won the championship. That's what it was. Okay. I knew that. Yeah, I so we went to the final four. I mean, we went no, to the, yeah, you, every year. We were, uh, we were a close contender. Um, but yes, I had a couple close calls, and I, we lost every time. And 18 years later, I'm, I'm still, I'm okay now, but... Like I went to the final f- to the championship this year, yeah. And every year, I like I see all my old teammates. All the all the Notre Dame family comes and with these girls and like Enrique and Marina and Jess and Brianna Turner. We all like and Jackie Young. We're all so connected to each other. Yeah. I was eating breakfast with them. We were talking. I was crying. All these things come up. Oh. All these old pains and losses are still in my body. Yeah. So when they lose, I I lose. Hmm. And all my teammates, we feel we all weeping together. It's because we just it's like we're still playing. Yeah. It's, I can't really explain it, but it's this, it's the soul of the game. The purity of the game is you're always an athlete. Once you connect to the God, I call it the God of basketball. Yeah. You're, you're a sucker for it the rest of your life. And you have to heal the things that I had to heal about basketball. There's a lot of things I had to learn about myself and heal and forgive and let go of, but that's everything in life. Yeah. But basketball, I could say has been one of my greatest teachers in my life. That's great. Yeah. It's taught me how to handle myself under a lot of pressure, like yeah. playing in front of 20,000 people. Yeah. No, that's the thing. Because at a D1 school, you're not, I mean, my my college gym, I think, held like 400, oh. and it was always half full. And that was because we got like, I don't know, some sort of perk if we went to the games. <laughs> like, No, but it's just, whole, I mean, but still, you're still playing in front of people. Yeah. And it just teaches you a lot about your self-confidence. Even my biggest regret is I was too worried about play, pleasing everybody else instead yeah. of just playing with the game. Like my best games, I can't even remember them because I was so in the zone. I just totally. reacted to how whatever the game gave me. And I think that's why I fell in love with acting. I'm an actress as well. Yeah. It's because when you get in that zone, I mean, you know this too, as oh, an actor, yeah. you, don't, you can't think it, you can't make it happen. The moment just comes to you and you're in it and then you just react. Matter of fact, when people, come, like I would do some work where I was very like in my head and I <sighs> knew it was happening and I went through the, and it, people would come up. And that's the thing. Some people can't even tell the difference. They come up and they compliment you after, and I would be so mad. Yeah. I'd just be like, no, I just, I, I tricked you. I wasn't doing anything. I was Mm-mm. just. You're in your head. The worst is you can be in your head. You're thinking. Thinking to me can be my worst detriment. Oh, yeah. As any kind of creation. My worst moment was I was doing children's theater. Right mm. out of college, I toured doing children's theater. And now, mind you, it's not the richest work. Like, you're not getting the best scripts in the world when you're doing kids' theater. But it's still fun. And you'll never have a better audience. Mm. You'll never have a more brutal audience. If you did something funny, they're going to laugh uncontrollably. (laughs) If you did something bad, they will just start heckling you like loudly and like they'll just start like they don't care. They have no filter and it's awesome. But I remember um, somewhere around my 200 show mark with this one show we were doing because we do we do three shows a day. It was nuts. Um, somewhere around the 200 show mark, I remember remembering that I was on stage and saying lines and like all of a sudden I like came to and I was and like, and I had been doing this show the whole time because it had become so 
more habit than performance uh, that I just mm-hmm. went up and did it. And I'm like, I didn't miss any lines. I didn't Oh, we're in the right spot. But I was like, <sighs> just thinking about other things. Mm-hmm. And then I come to and be like, oh, you're still doing this. Yep. And the only reason I came to is because it was a time for the sword fight. No, it's just like, oh, I got to pay attention now. Yeah. Otherwise I'm going to get hit Ooh. in the face. So well, that to me is the worst thing. I mean, part of why I love acting and creating anything is just the tension of creation. Oh yeah. And never quite being secure. The minute you're kind of secure, you're bored. I never understood that with people. That's something that coming from a creative work environment, whether you're a model or photographer or Mm -hmm. actor or musician or a writer or anything, it's the idea that I knew people who got a job at an office and they knew their life forever was just going to that office until they were 65 every, like they knew there's some people that find security in that they have their routine. They know what they're doing. Everything's great. And it always freaked me out of just like, even when nothing was happening, even when I was living off of rice and hot sauce, mm-hmm. there was that possibility <gasps> that better, something crazy you dream and you're yeah. hungry. Whereas like I have friends who are like, you know, who are like accountants or business administrators and they love their job and they do great. But it's like for me from the outside and I'm like, so you just go to work every day. That's like just what you do. Like, what do you, I don't know. It, but, it weirds me out. But I think, you know what I realized is that there's a place for every, we, everybody. We need everybody. Yeah. Thank God people want to be in the desks and oh, everyone wants to me is as hard enough being a model and actress and a yeah. writer. Yeah. It's hard enough getting a spot. So imagine if everyone was creative, like thank God some people are just happy being accountants, happy being lawyers or things that we would find so dismal. Yeah. But I need lawyers. Yeah. I need, exactly. you know, we need everybody. Exactly. And so I'm actually thankful that everyone's wired like I am. I know. No. Cause it takes, I mean, everyone, if everyone was wired like us, nothing would get done. <laughs> <laughs> I need somebody setting no, the rules. Exactly. Otherwise there would just be, there would be a lot of like, I don't know, people camping and like, and just doing nothing else. A lot of meditation time, which would be great. Sounds wonderful to me, but like, I don't know. There's not going to be a sushi restaurant I can go to if everybody, (laughs) if everybody is like that. So, uh, so when you went to Notre Dame, what, what what did you major in while you were there? Marketing. Marketing. Ooh, Mm -hmm. perfect. Business. Yeah. Business marketing. Very nice. Now when you go to, um, when you go to a school, like especially a D one school, was the WNBA ever a like, like a dream or a thing you wanted to do, or I don't, I think it's like when I, women's sports interests me so much. I feel like women's sports has gone through such a transformation in the mm-hmm. last even 10 years where to my, to my shame, I remember like when we were talking earlier about Connecticut, when I was talking about not having any professional sports, I say that all the time. And then remember we have a WNBA <laughs> team and I feel so bad. I'm like, why? I don't understand why women's sports have like this, this weird caveat to it mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I like, because of that, I always wondered, I'm like, is it still, there are people who go, there are men who go to college on sports scholarships with no intention of ever doing anything else but playing. Mm-hmm. But all my, uh, female friends who've gone on a, um, sports scholarship, always had a a great major, always had great grades, always had like focus of like what to do afterwards. And, um, I was, I don't know. I was, I'm wondering what your experience in that kind of vein was. Well, funny enough, I'm here today in New York city as a model and actress and a writer because I have, I'm a failure. Really? I have failed at everything I've ever dreamt of being. 
Oh my God. I was supposed to be a fighter pilot. I was in the ROTC. You Air were. Force. Yes. yes. And I only fit in two different cockpits because I'm so, I'm six on one. That's but so, I f- sorry, real quick. The reason yeah. I did not um, join the Navy was the same thing. Oh. I, what, my intention after college was not to go to theater school. My intention, I'm sorry, after high school, I, was, I wanted to join the Navy. And when I showed up to the recruiter, he goes, there's one boat you fit in yeah. and you can't do most jobs. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Thank God. Yeah, I know it's weird, but um, I'm so thankful I failed. Like, I failed the engineering. I did all the physical tests. I went to boot camp and yeah. Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana. Too tall, too tall. Get your ass up here! <laughs> and I actually won all these athletic awards because you have to like literally. It's six weeks of survival training. Yeah, and they put you through hell. But I get turned on by the kind of stuff. Being oh. an athlete and being competitive. I love that. And they stuff. don't give you food for three, you know, three or four days. You got to figure out. Have you ever seen the show Naked and Afraid? No, I've heard oh, about it. Oh, it's my favorite show, really? and I think you would love it. I okay. think the, that that like my wife hates it, and for <laughs> me, it just turns on this mm-hmm. edge of like I could do that. Mm-hmm. I know I could do that. <laughs> so. so something with the competitive nature, and also almost just the brutality of it. Oh yeah, just I the loved. primalness of. Yeah. Of, of, of stripping yourself down to your objective is survive, like end of list. You don't but have to then, do anything well, else but survive, survive. and then thrive. Yeah. When you're not supposed to thrive. Yeah. I love thriving when it, the odds are against you. Yeah. Something in me just comes and elevates and I'm, Yeah. And all of a sudden I can, everything stops. It's like the game again. Basketball. Um, yeah. So I'm actually here living in New York because all my dreams, I failed at all my dreams. And when I went to Notre Dame, the WNBA, and there was another something else, another pro league, I forget what it was called, but they both, I think my junior year, they both, both, um, what do you call it, came to life. They both, yeah. what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, yeah, they both know. were created, they started? both started. Yeah, yeah thank exactly. you, duh. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, okay. But I, in my dream, I grew up thinking I wanted to be an Olympic basketball player. That yeah. was my goal. I had no end, I had no other dreams at being I was gonna be a little basketball player and then retire and become a fighter pilot yeah which is retire <laughs> I mean which I mean, is a really makes no great. sense even in you know time order like you can't I know I'm gonna I'm gonna do the Olympics first yes, and then, then be a fighter pilot then, yeah I'm just gonna let the Air Force you know put me on hold for a couple years and then do the Olympics and yeah, yeah. but yeah I actually tried out for the WBA and I was on a few teams for a couple days and then I got cut and they okay. told me to go overseas and I was too stubborn and I was like, forget that. I'm done. Yeah. And then I actually went to Chicago and I took a job for three days. I quit it. I hated it. Yeah. And I got some really amazing advice from my aunt and uncle. And they said, listen, either you have a job for two reasons. Either I get you where you want to go or you wake up every day and you just have to be part of it. Yeah. And this job didn't either. Mm-hmm. So I quit that in three days and I was doing like... Yeah, been in a republic in their loss prevention. So I was like a secret shopper. Oh and like my watch. God. It was actually quite fun. Very actually, it was acting in a way. No, exactly. And I would like watch people and like, oh, they put that in the back. And I, you know, and then I'd trace me down the street, Michigan Avenue. And oh my God. Actually, quite dangerous now that I think about it. But yeah. now, it, well, that's a lot of them don't do it anymore. A lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of those retail stores have what they call a don't chase policy, where they just <gasps> yeah, let people take why. stuff and go out just because well, people have gotten hurt. That's a whole business. Oh, people yeah. actually make their whole living off of that. Oh, have you ever seen the TV show Atlanta? Yeah, uh, parts of it. Honestly. Oh, there's a great 
episode where this guy that he's talking to who's an ex-con just starts loading up his arms full of shoes and yeah. stuff like that. He's like, is he had a job interview and he needed to go yeah. like get clothes. So he just starts taking stuff and find Donald Glover's like, are you, are you buying all this stuff? And he goes, buying? No, we're just taking it. And he goes, yeah. oh, he goes, oh, they have a no chase policy. Yeah. And he goes, they can't do anything. And like the associate comes up and is like, can I help you, sir? And they just ignore him. And he goes, he goes, I just walk out of here. They can't do anything. He does. And he just leaves. And they're like, oh, okay. Bye, sir. And it's like, it's true. Yeah. Well, cause you can actually, I mean, things I did, it were so stupid, but they're actually families that come in and they all have the little points and they're actually, they're quite skilled at it. Yeah. And I got duped several times, even by employees. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. That's good. I just saw recently, um, there was a North Face store in, might've been Minnesota or something like that, but it was a North Face store where these 10 people went in and had a plan and they just went in and they were all customers and they all came in at different times. Mm -hmm. And then at like a certain just time on the dot, they all broke grabbed, ran out at the same time, mm -hmm. $30,000 worth of product in like, you know, less than 30 seconds. I mean, it's a way to make a living. It's like they just went in and they were like, all right, as soon as it's 413, just grab and run. And that's exactly how it worked. And it's, I don't know. There's like this little part of me that's impressed by it. I don't well, think it's right, but it no, it's also, not right. But it's also, it's creative. It is. It's impressive. That Entrepreneurial. Like, it is. And it's one of those <laughs> things where you're almost just like, man, if you put all this planning towards other stuff, you would be so good. You clearly have like a smart enough mind to plan these heists, but like. And corporations have insurance for this kind of thing. I know. That's why they have a no chase policy yeah. anymore. It's because their security guards and their associates would get injured or, in, or injure the yeah. person. Most of most what happened is that they would <laughs> injure the person who stole <laughs> and then they would get sued by the person who was robbing yes. them. And now that's why all these corporations are like, no, just let them take it. It's fun. They just factor yeah. in like 20% loss yeah. out of all of their products. Mm -hmm. They're like 20% is never going to show up. Yeah. Ugh. That's true. So I did that for a while. And then actually from that job, I got a job on wall street. Get out. Yeah. I was going to be at, um, I can't say the company, but two years in their training program. Okay. You go like six months on the floor, six months in this program, six months in that. And I was like, okay. But yeah. all, all I did was talk about my time as an Air Force pilot in the tr you know survival training and basketball. Yeah, and my grades weren't the even thing, that great. The things that you did enjoy is all you talked yeah. about. Yeah, well, things yeah. that was really because Wall Street is all competitive nature and learning yeah. on your feet. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually quite good at complicated common sense, which is what economics is. Yeah, so I can do all this. I can do all the fancy equations. I couldn't do two plus two, but I could do the the long math. The long the, math. The actual. This is why this is uh -huh. happening. I could see the long thread. Exactly. I couldn't see the in between, but I could see the big picture. That's a big thing with a lot of people. I mean, it's the more I do this podcast, the more people I talk to, I'm like, wow, all of our brains work so differently. Mm -hmm. And you'll talk to people and you're, just, and you're just amazed sometimes. You're like, how do you see these things? How do you do yeah. something as simple as my mother-in-law uh, does puzzles, does like <gasps> a thousand piece puzzles all the time. And I... I, I look at it and some, and I can't even under, and she always finishes them and I can, I don't even know where she starts. Like yeah. she does the border. Okay. I can do the border. But then after that, I'm just like looking at all. And it's not like, Oh, this is a part of the horse's mane. I have that. It'll be just like a Jackson Pollock looking thing where there's no way you could tell and she'll finish them. And it's like, I'm like, how does your brain work it's that perhaps way? Perhaps a kind of meditative, like in the zone experience. I'm yeah. guessing it has to be. 
it has. Or the people who found how to do things like the first time always just drives me. So I was like, how did somebody know cooking? Like, how did somebody? Popcorn. Yeah, popcorn. How did you know that if you heat up a dry popcorn kernel? Most things happen by accident. We were just talking on our last pod when I was talking to a brewer. The first beer ever made mm-hmm. was a total mistake. Mm-hmm. They left um, these farmers who were farming grain, left a bucket of grain. Uh, it's They were, you know, harvesting and then it started raining and they all ran and they left the bucket of grain there and they came back two days later and it was bubbling and they didn't know why and it's because the wild yeast from the air had like started fermenting in the hot sun. It's just crazy. And then people are able to break down and like recreate these things. I watch um, just even cooking. I was watching the Great British Baking Show and I'm like, <laughs> who made a Madeline the first time? Who knew, yeah. who, did, who, who invented baking powder and figured mm. out that it would leaven bread better? It's mm-hmm. just, it's crazy. There's so much things in this world that we take totally for granted of just this just is and we never really realize that no someone someone created that at one point. Well I always think too what can I create that's just so like like the highlighter or the post-it things are just so mundane but so necessary. I wish. Like, I watch a lot of Shark Tank. Oh, it's the same thing. I watch that all the time, and I'm just like, how did you? I could have thought of that. I could have done that. I don't know. Well, funny enough, like I'm creating my own brand right now for curly hair. I'm creating yeah. a whole brand of, of, of a lifestyle brand for curly hair because I wish I had that when I was younger. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I've really been hungry my whole life to create something that I like a post it or the, you know, a highlighter. But. Funny enough, I'm now at this point now, at almost 41, where I'm actually going to create a whole lifestyle brand for the very thing that I needed in my whole life. Yeah. That's, I, that's for one, thank you for creating it. Like, <laughs> I, did, I didn't have curly hair growing up, but I know so many of my friends who did mm-hmm. and would, especially in high school, like, I had so many friends who had, like, naturally curly hair that would just iron the hell out of it and just like in damage they like i remember you know one of my friends who's like who had like chunks coming out from trying to relax it and trying to straighten it and so it's i i one of the things that i've noticed especially in modeling especially in plus models mm-hmm. is that like that's the one thing we have all kind of come down to we're just like man if we can make it easier like if we can give kids the jump start that we have, like if I had the confidence in the body I have now mm-hmm. as a 16 year old boy, mm-hmm. I don't even know what I would have been able to do. It held me back for so many years. Like imagine if we saw you on TV when you were 16. Yeah, that would have been crazy to me or seeing someone my size or, or like seeing, and it wasn't even just then cause we saw, you know, I saw bigger guys. I saw Chris Farley doing his thing and stuff and there were bigger guys I loved, but it was always as a joke. Mm-hmm. It was never in their power. Ever taken seriously and then like oh it's it's I I cannot wait to see because like you know I'm having a child and I cannot wait that I was talking to Laura the other day and I'm like our daughter might never feel these feelings like I mean she will to an extent everyone does but like our daughter will not know what it's like to um never have representation. She's mm. not going to know what it's like to turn on the TV and not see someone she sees herself in. Mm-hmm. And that's just so 
powerful that she's going to be able to like she's going to have role models right away and but there's going to be something there's always something oh say, no oh, something else will be terrible <laughs> something else no and and i'm going to be and i'm going to end up being like a crazy old bigot for something i didn't even know existed like uh, I, I mean this is the thing is like right now i'm so progressive right now but i'm guarantee you like all of yeah. our parents thought they were so progressive mm-hmm. too and then something new is going to come out and then i'm going to be like against human <laughs> robot relations and I'm going to be well, the that's old another story. I know that's actually you know black mirror. No. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. I, I have some, we can go on about black mirror for days. So, <laughs> and I'm going to be that guy. I'm yes. going to be that guy that's like, this isn't We're right. becoming robots. And then they're going to be like, Oh, you're, you know, you old bigot, you, you, you're anti-robot. And I'll be like, I guess I am. <laughs> Racist. And I'm gonna be, Your robot brothers are uh, marching for you. <laughs> I cannot wait to find out <laughs> what, but dad, what my else? best friend's a robot. Well, you know, in Japan, or right, this is kind of off topic, but in Japan, you know, they have sex dolls. Oh yeah. And they all, they actually are making people as friends that are robots that actually, yeah. they acclimate to who your wants and needs and desires based off all your technology gadgets, like all your likes on Instagram, everything you put input in your devices, the robot becomes, or they, it's like an algorithm for your friendship. Oh. So it can literally change for your tastes. It's so it's, people are actually having less sex now. Yeah. And less friends because they're just becoming the robot. Scary and also me. the virtual reality, the virtual yeah. reality of sex. Well, they have this whole thing in Japanese culture. Um, I think it's called a waifu is the thing. And it's essentially, it comes in different forms, some in the form of literally a body pillow with, a, with like an anime woman painted on it. And but then they also have like virtual waifus mm-hmm. that you walk That's in and, bigger and, bigger. and they just like start talking and they're like, hey, honey, how was your day? And it's like this little hologram mm-hmm. of like a lady. And the, and like they've interviewed like young Japanese men and they're just like and some of them are just like, I don't need a girlfriend. I have this one. It's and actually it's becoming like, a real problem. I heard. Yeah. People oh, are actually yeah. not procreating as much. Uh, it's which which. I mean, if we went in the grand scheme of things, that'd be fine. If we all started, I like, I, I just be I, as much just from a, I'm also, if just from an environmental standpoint, I'm like, I went, I had to, I was typing, I, I wrote an article. Um, I wrote, I write an advice piece every week. And there was one where I had to, somehow I was referencing the world population. And then I was like, oh, well, there's 6 billion people in the world. And I looked it up and it was 7.2 billion. Mm -hmm. And that's from like five years ago from the last time I checked. We've gone up another billion and a half people. Like it's. Well, that's, I mean, there's so many different angles to the story too. Because can you imagine though, the importance of sex, what it does for a culture, what it does for a man. Absolutely. What it does for a woman. They need to be touched and honored and Mm -hmm. fed. It's our, I mean, it's our animal side. We, we were, me and my wife were talking about the idea that we wanted to have children. We knew we wanted to have children so badly. And, but I talking to my, you know, some of my friends who've decided not to have children, (laughs) I've been like, no, that's an insanely correct. I said, there is zero logical reason for Laura and I to have children. If you want to go from Mm. a purely logistical standpoint, it makes no sense. I'm going to have less money. I'm going to have way more to worry about. We could do way more. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be adding another person who's going to have their own carbon footprint and like destroy the planet, no matter how well we teach her. I'm like, Mm -hmm. from a logic standpoint, it makes no sense. But from like an instinctual standpoint. In a heart. Yeah, in in our hearts and in our bodies were like this is gonna happen no we want it's it's 
I think is really, that's just like our, just our inner animal that, that's still there and we always remember. But it's also animal and spirit. Yeah. Because that's, I think my biggest fear of technology is that we are becoming more and more robotic and yeah. we're losing the heart connection, even oh. looking eye to eye. Yeah. And sex, I mean, depending on what level you're doing it, if you're just fucking or you're connecting, whatever, but yeah. still human touch. Yeah. Human contact and it's so necessary. When nowadays people feel like they're just lost in their own little virtual reality. I know. And that's, and, and I always feel bad because I, I think it sometimes I'm even feeding into it. I've been going through like these weird, uh, like lapses with social media mm -hmm. just because I, I keep catching myself and I'm like this, I hate this. This feels so silly. This feels so fake. And I realize I am, I'm doing it to feed into the monster that is social media rather than actually reflecting any human experience I'm having. Mm -hmm. And also when I do have a human experience, my last instinct is to reach for my phone and try to capture mm -hmm. it because no, I want to experience it. I want to enjoy it. I want to even just going to a concert, mm -hmm. the amount of people I see that spend their, they watch the whole concert. They're right through in front of TV. these musicians I mean, and they watch it through their screen of their phone and they record the whole thing. And I'm like, are you really going to watch this back? Are you really going to go do it? And really, you don't think that one of these like, you know, 2000 people also recording on their phones aren't going to put it on YouTube and you can't look it up later. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy what's happening. I just, I don't know. Well, Instagram, as we both know, it's a, it's a very funny world for all yeah. of us because we get so much pressure, you know, and to post, to post, to expose yourself, to reveal your life behind the scenes. And yeah. I've actually done a lot of soul work, a lot of really like self, a lot of self-reflection and how I can do Instagram and social media authentically. Yeah. And, um, and I actually studied these amazing entrepreneurs and they said how they deal with it. They actually make it like a meeting. So they schedule it yeah. like you would like a Zach and Julie meeting time. Yeah. It's Instagram time. So it's in the morning, they spent one or two hours, whatever it takes to create and to develop what are they going to say? What do they need? You know, what is their whole story? Blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. And so maybe like the first couple of days it's curating or, or creating posts for the whole 10 days or whatnot. Hmm. And then in the evening that they do engagement but literally it's only, only scheduled posts. People that I find that are most efficient, that I actually admire, the only time they look at Instagram, it's never just haphazardly. It's not in yeah. between things. It's scheduled time. Uh, and it actually changes your mind clutter because it's such a waste of, you'd be learning new words from language. You can learn a new language in the time you look at Instagram. Oh, I know. There's oh. so many things to, you know, and just Some, to absorb the world around you. There's a meme I saw recently that said something of like, what's going to be the hardest thing? If someone came from 50 years ago to the future, what would be the hardest thing to explain to them? And someone said uh, that we have a device in our pocket that has the entirety of all collected human knowledge and we use it to look at pictures of cats and get in arguments with strangers. Mm. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing we can't just so start learning and we just don't. It's almost like it's too much. It's like, we, I don't know. What well, numbs us out. I mean, yeah. Actually, we lose our heart connection. Yeah. We lose, to me, I can be very careful of not zoning out with Instagram. And no. so I've really set these parameters that, and funny enough, this whole week I've been studying how I'm going to authentically express like my hair lifestyle brand through yeah. Instagram. Oh, how yeah. can I reveal Julie, the part that I'm comfortable with and the parts I'm not comfortable with? How can I tell the story on Instagram that's me and I'm not losing my life. Yeah. And like we work together yeah. and I love shooting. Oh I yeah. I love, I need to create something every day. Yeah. And whether it's a picture on Instagram or I see, well, I gotta see it. Like turns me on. My whole body just comes alive. Yeah. 
So that's the way I, I find that I'm okay with Instagram of just You would capturing. just in the middle of the shoot be like, stop, don't move. I got to come back. The light's great. And I was like, oh, okay, we're doing something. Okay, here you know, we go. You just find the perfect moment. That to me is bliss. Yeah. Oh my God. I think I remember the last time we shot together, we were on a, the beautiful island of Anguilla and it was so majestic and my favorite part about it is I was able to just completely turn off from everything to the point where I turned off a little too much <laughs> I like really got into like just being wherever I was I remember you and Ashley Graham were sitting on the beach and I was gonna go snorkeling and I was like <gasps> life. and I was like do you guys want to mind watching my stuff and you guys are like yeah no problem and then I came back and you guys weren't there anymore but I realized I'd been in the water for like three hours <laughs> yes, you were gone and I had no I was so just into it I had like a snorkel mask on and I was just I was so into it and the only reason I came back is it was started raining mm -hmm. and I came back and I was just like oh they're gone and then I like got my watch and I was like oh my god I feel I'm, I'm, I feel so I feel so bad. I was just like they're probably sitting on the beach, like God. What do we do? We got sex stuff. We gave your phone to somebody else. Yeah, we no. You, well, you out. gave it to to yeah. It was just fine. I yeah. got it, but it was funny because I was like I felt so guilty. But I was no, like, oh, it's that's island life does it to you. Oh I mean, that's God. one of the perks of modeling. You go all over the world and you actually get to sink into their own rhythm. Traveling has been the craziest part about this for me. It's because before I started modeling, I'd never left the country mm. ever in my life, and now it's like gotten to see so many other different cultures and so many other different ways of just being mm -hmm. and so many other people's histories. When I was in Norway, I had one day off and I spent that day going to six museums oh. and just learning of these things that I had no idea existed. Like in Norway, there's the whole, there's that explorer culture. There's mm -hmm. something in them that they just need to discover. And it was, I, I went to a museum all about finding um, the path through the, what they call the Northwest passage, which was this hypothetical at the time, this completely hypothetical passage through the islands and the sea ice in the Arctic to get over to the Pacific ocean, to get to China and, and to Jap Japan to open up trade route. And it would take, it was, you know, half the distance, even going through the Panama canal, even going through around, um, the Cape of good hope and all that. And, People, they just thought it might exist. So they just started going out there and doing it. And they all died. So many people died <laughs> trying to find this. And then one day someone found a way through. And now it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that, that there's that, that level of human, you know, just idealism. Of or curiosity. Just, just, just curiosity you're willing to just die for. Mm -hmm. Not just die for, spend all of the money you've ever had to see if it's true. And it either is the most epic failure in the world or it's just the most incredible thing. You've discovered something no one else knew existed. But see, that to me is, God, that's exciting. I'd rather that than sit in an office. Yeah. I'd rather not know or risk my life. Oh. Or risk all my money. Yeah. Just to, I mean, to, to do to, something. To, to do something unknown, to discover the unknown, to, to not know what's going to happen each day. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you're doing that with your brand. I mean, we talked earlier about like the whole idea of not being able to just sit in an office and do anything. The idea of being able to create something. I feel like a lot of, um, creatives that with creatives and like explorers, I feel like have very similar, um, like our brains work very similar. Cause it's the idea of like, I just doing something that someone else has done just makes me feel like almost itchy. It like really freaks me out. You it's know, like I describe it as like a hunger. Yeah. I am hungry 
to discover what I'm supposed to discover. What's, what's inside Julie Yeah, that needs discovering. Yeah. And this is whole internal journey that really I find so interesting and fascinating and scary. That's the scariest what's inside of me. And that's, what's so interesting about my, my next venture. Yeah. Um, and you get, you get to a point where you've lived such a rich, crazy life that you get to the point where you're like, I need to not just give back because you're like, I need to move forward. I need to start my next adventure. And if I can somehow help other people even like start mm-hmm. their adventure along the way. And like, I mean, that's what you're doing with this. Well, that's part of like my businesses. What's the problem yeah. that I can solve? Yeah. And my problem was as a biracial child, mm-hmm. I had a beautiful white mama and a big black dad. Yeah. And my poor mama couldn't comb my hair. Oh my God. She yeah. literally, my hair would be in knots and dreads and she would have to cut it out because she was, she didn't know what to do. No, my mama didn't know. Yeah. And that's the name of my brand called mama don't know. Oh, that's a perfect <laughs> name. Well, because seriously, it was like, this was 40 years ago. Yeah. And back then there was barely any products for black people, let yeah. alone mixed people. Yeah. And I actually had a lot of tons of hair shame growing up and really very much so. And it was more than just having unruly hair. Yeah. It was having hair that reflected that I wasn't black enough because my, my texture of my hair gave me away that I was mixed. Hmm. I had what I called so many internal tangles. I had my hair knots, but I had internal tangles, internal afflictions. Yeah. I had biracial afflictions. I had mother's shame. I was so ashamed that she was half white. Really? Yes. So my hair gave me away. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, as a 40-year-old woman looking back... I realized I was ashamed of my hair for many reasons, a multitude of reasons. Yeah. Number one, I mean, I had lopsided mullets and afros. Huh. And just, my mom would be like, oh, not poof, not poof. Oh, man. But it was also the fact that I was ashamed of having a white mother. Really? Yeah, so ashamed of her because my, my precious father, he really said, listen, you're black, your mom is white, yeah. but the world sees you as black. Yeah. And black is a thing to be. Yeah. Because he grew up in a time when men or black men are being hung on trees by white mm-hmm. people, you know, and mm-hmm. he had so much fear, just natural fear. And so for the, I think I was like 24, I just saw I'm black. That's it. Yeah. But, um, and I really, I mean, why I think why I launched this brand, it's so important to me is because I actually watched my mama, my whole entire childhood really be so conscious of her white guilt. Hmm not really able to be herself because she was so afraid of being a white woman in this biracial world and step tiptoeing and trying to do what's right. Not even like so afraid to mess up. Hmm. She was so afraid to be herself because God forbid, you know, she hurt somebody or offended somebody and there was no room for her to play. Hmm. And even just to see what, what color she could, you know, come up with and what, what she could create on her own. And so mama don't know is a platform for mamas, for teens, for anyone who struggles with their hair. Yeah. Um, but also somebody, anyone who's curious, a new outtake of race, a new perception of, of race and what it means to actually walk in this terrain of multi, multi, multi races. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's taken me on a whole journey. I would never would have guessed. It's, it's amazing that you even said that because I remember even me as a kid, the, the idea of someone being biracial or half black or something wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. It was the idea that if like, no, if one of your parents is black, then you're black. Yes. That's the, it, um, Trevor Noah actually mm-hmm. in his book about like he, he wrote the whole idea that he was never black until he came to America. 
and then he just was a black man all of a sudden because <laughs> in South Africa, him being mixed race, he was completely colored. separate. He was colored. He was considered because in South Africa, there was black, there was white and there was colored, mm-hmm. which was people of mixed race who were essentially illegal for <laughs> for a sad portion of their history. Well, you know, my parents got married 10 years after it became legal really? in the States. Man. So it was still a new thing. Oh, yeah. And it was still very... Yeah, very, um, there was a lot of taboo that still come along. Yeah, with. and a lot of tiptoeing. My mother would, my mom's this 120 pound, I'm 200 pounds, I'm 6'1", 200 pounds. Yeah. You know, big, big woman. And my mom is 5'8", 120 pounds, blonde hair, blue eyes, named Constance. Yeah, oh my you God. You know, four <laughs> black kids. Yeah. But, um, I mean, now I, I consider myself biracial. Yeah. I, don't, I realized the harm it was for me saying I'm black, yeah. I'm just black. Yeah. I'm denying half of who I am. Mm. And I actually honor, of course, I honor my black side. Of course, oh, yeah. I honor my history. I honor the people that came before me. Mm-hmm. But I also honor my mama. Yeah. My mother and all her 120 pounds pushed me out the best she could. Mm. She gave me everything. And my half my life, I denied that I was even part of her. I was ashamed of her. Not only did that, I was so ashamed of her mm. and embarrassed. And... And Ray, and the, I, I, first of all, I'm coming out with a series of books. I have a whole bunch of books called Mama Don't Know. Great. And it's about my own healing recipes for my hair. Yeah. But also forgiveness of my own childhood knots hmm. and afflictions and for everything a mama doesn't know. Hmm. Things that I thought I had to forgive her for, I realized nothing to forgive because yeah. she did the best she could. And yeah. I, I needed her to be whatever she was. Yeah. And um, I mean, this, these these books, I'm doing books, workshops. I mean, it's a whole lifestyle brand that's coming out, but I really work on what's your head of hair. And I mean, head of hair, I mean, what's, what's your head, what's your head thinking, what's your yeah. programming. And my programming was so one, one sided. And I was actually realized that I grew up half my life ashamed of who I was. Half of me mm. was evil. Half of me was untrustworthy. Half of me was not right. Ugh. So how could I ever fully embody Julie? How yeah. could I actually walk this earth with any kind of pride? Yeah. And so I had to really come to grips with both sides of me. And I have a chapter in my book called Basketball Made Me Black. Hmm. And it wasn't until I became a really good basketball player that I was accepted into the black community. Because, I mean, of course, my father, my family, my dad's family accepted me. But yeah. the rest of the world, they weren't used to mixed. I had green eyes and this crazy curly hair. Yeah. And I was known as this mixed up mixed kid. And I was actually, like 12 or 13, I was one of the best post players in the country. Suddenly I became this pretty black ball player. Yeah. But until then I was like this, you know, crazy mixed up kid. So I have a whole chapter of how basketball actually got me into the black world. Suddenly I was black. I was fine. And yeah. I actually had to go through a lot of healing and forgiveness because I was the very people that I wanted, that I praised, that I worshiped. Black to me was a thing to be. Mm. Never trusted me. They never fully took me in. They actually held me at arm's length. And it took me a long time to come to grips with that and and understand that why they did that. But also I was really, really hurt mm. in my whole life trying to fit in, into a box that rejected me all the time. People that I thought were, I was part of. And so, yeah, what, I, what I've come to realize now is the power of really knowing who I am and the role in race in my life. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's been a beautiful journey and really being my autonomous, magical self. But all through discovering and loving my hair, my curls. Oh my God. That's so wonderful. That's, you're going to change so many kids' lives with this. I really like, 
I, I mean, I mean, even though I know that that's obviously the intention is yeah. to like help get, I, when it really starts happening, I think it's going to be very overwhelming for you. Well, it's interesting because yeah, I'm got, going to be t- talking about what I know, the very yeah. problems that I dealt with because people don't even realize you know, like the black and white terrain. I am literally one with two forces that have never gotten along. Yeah. Black and white, two opposing histories. Mm. They, they've never been one. They've never been, they've never been amicable. Mm. And, but that, I know I actually have love for both sides. I can see both sides so clearly. Mm. And I see why they hate each other. I see why they mistrust each other. I see why they love each other. Mm. And my, my goal the rest of my life is to, is to help people with that tricky terrain of being biracial and being their authentic self and not being told because the world sees you as this, you're this. Yeah. And it's like somebody, somebody sees you as a fat kid or you or you're a flat side. The world sees you as so many different things. I know the world has their own beautiful magnifying glass. They decide who you are. Yeah. And and it's, I've noticed it's not until the people I know in my life who are truly happy or Mm -hmm. the people who've kind of shucked the idea of what the world made them because we all play along with it for so long Mm -hmm. for so long you play along Mm -hmm. with what the world says you are or expects you to be and i and i every every year i get older i start discovering who i am like a tiny bit more Mm -hmm. and i and i think i think hopefully that you know the children of the future generation don't have to wait as long. They don't have to wait till they're as old as us to start realizing that. I mean, the kids nowadays are so fascinating. Their self-confidence to me is, it's crazy. They're getting it. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it has to do with just that they're seeing the world differently. I mean, a lot of the things that had huge effects on our lives, we don't realize until, you know, decades later, yeah. we realized that that thing had a huge, huge issue. I remember my uncle telling me that I talked too much, um, <laughs> when I was like seven Really? And I, did, and I barely spoke for like, and I would not like, I, even now my, I have some like really interesting social anxiety things when I'm in crowds of people, I will not say anything. I'll just stand there and nod just because that and I and that's the thing. Year, decades later, like twenty years later, I realized that that stuck with See, me. That's in your mind. Yeah. That's like a tape recorder. It's a programming. It's in your mind. So yeah. It's your mindset. Yeah, it's nuts. But it, change the mindset, change your life. Oh yeah, and then, and slowly, and I'm I'm lucky enough to have been working on myself for mm-hmm. this long that I'm I'm at the. Um, I had a friend who uh, I knew. You ever heard of the Alexander technique? Yes. There's different levels of it for those for people listening don't know. It's a It's a mind-body technique that actors use a lot. It's just about being completely in tune with your body in every way. And there was there's different levels. There's um, unconscious incompetence. Then there's conscious incompetence. Then there's unconscious competence (laughs) and conscious competence. What you're trying to get to, you're trying to do the right thing. You know, do know what's happening with your body and do it intentionally. Whereas like, I feel like I'm now at the position, I'm at like the stage two where I'm like, I now know I'm like conscious incompetence. I understand that Mm -hmm. what I've been doing for a long time is wrong. And now I'm not wrong. Just, just what life, just what it was, just not beneficial to me. Mm -hmm. I realized what I was doing was not beneficial to who Mm -hmm. I was. And now you know, I get to spend the next, I don't know, 80 years. How long are we going to live? Like, well, that's the beautiful time. thing about life and youth. And we all have, I call them knots. We have internal knots, internal tangles. Yeah. Things that keep us not ourselves, yeah. knotted up that aren't we, stops us from our true authentic selves. It could be something as little as somebody saying, shh, be quiet. You're talking too much. 
Yeah. That affects you when you're 40 years oh, old. Oh, it wasn't a shh, be quiet. That's very polite. It was, okay. you know, you don't have to talk all the time, right? And oh. I was like, oh, all right. Well, little you know, you have the number one podcast in, you know, 50 years. I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talking too much, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. I, I love that. And, and so, I mean, I've had so much fun talking to you. I know we've been talking for a long time. We, did, we didn't even get to stuff. Like, I know. We I'm still just like, I'm, I'm still not even like, how'd you start modeling? Or like, now it feels almost like, cheap to go back to like so like I got we're just, to Molly by accident oh I think a we failure all, another another failure I think we all did well <laughs> yes. then let's go over that really quickly because I don't know <laughs> we've gotten real deep but I do want to know because I'm very curious I don't know how my, <clears throat> for one of the things about modeling that is so amazing especially for people who do plus and curve size modeling is we all got into it by mistake mm-hmm. none of yeah, us meant to dreams it just them. sort of happened. Well, now they do now they do but when we started they didn't ex- it didn't exist I mean it, it, it didn't exist when you started 18 Mm-mm. years ago. And even though I only started four years ago, it didn't exist for men when Mm-mm. I started. So it's like, you know, we didn't know we could do it. So, so what was your first foray into modeling? Well, I got cut from the WNBA. I was supposed to go overseas to Israel and I partially tore my Achilles. Ooh. So I couldn't play. So I was in this whole crisis of the soul. Like, yeah. who am I with that basketball? Who am yeah. I not being an athlete? So I was putting around I was in Chicago doing my, you know, loss prevention at Banana Republic. Beautiful. And at the same time, I interviewed for this job on Wall Street. I got it. So I can move to New York for two years. Mm-hmm. The same time, one of my best friends from the other day came up to visit me. And she literally forced me into Ford in Chicago. She's like, mm-hmm. you're going into this agency. She, she was a child model. And she yeah. grew up. She's like, she knew I was depressed and kind of like, what am I doing with my life? I came in there in like basketball sweats. I wasn't yeah. even caring. My hair was in a ponytail. So I left 20 minutes later with a contract and a promise never to walk in looking like that again. <laughs> I love and I that. moved to New York with 800 bucks in my pocket. No, not 800, 200 bucks in yeah. cash. hundred dollars on my credit card. I packed up my car. I had no money. I had no place to live. I just drove my car to Washington, D.C., where my best friend lived. I parked my Ford Taurus in her parking lot, took $34 on the Greyhound bus. Oh, my God. I don't know what I was thinking. I literally took the Greyhound and said, I'm going to figure out where to stay. I had no, I had no money, no yeah. cream for a hotel. I ran into one of my old college friends on the street. She's like, "Oh, I can stay with me tonight." I was like, "Oh, I, mean, I don't know what I was thinking." I didn't tell my parents because I know they would, you know, be too worried. Oh yeah. And I got I literally stayed with her for like a week, and then she found funny enough there was some Notre Dame people that just love Notre Dame, and they they knew me from basketball, so I stayed with them for three months over the summer. Oh my god. And then another of my another of my friends in Notre Dame came. And I lived in their brownstone for you know literally it was all serendipitous events that added up. But I did not think it through. I just yeah. went because I, I was so sick of my life. I had to make a change. And, you know, I had to learn. I was such a tomboy. I couldn't even comb my hair back then. Mm. I had to take ballet classes because. Oh, just to like get in tune. To know yeah. softer movements. Not yeah. trying to punch anybody or. Not trying to knock box any, somebody out. Not <laughs> any, yeah, throwing elbows. Yeah. So I had to learn how to just, you know, use my curves and, and how to be subtle and small and feminine and big at once. And how to expand myself and move. And I took so many different kinds of dance. Dance actually taught me so much about modeling. And like basketball, I was a, I was quite a tomboy, but mm-hmm. modeling really activated my feminine side. My well, I feel like in sports you learn to you you're learning to be in tune with your body, mm-hmm. and you're learning to uh, you know how your body operates, and you have to be one with your body. But it's in a more aggressive manner. It's in a competitive, aggressive mm-hmm. manner. And I feel like in dance and other stuff, you 
you learn to, to, you're not trying to hurt another person. You're not trying to beat another person. It's a different kind of in the moment because sports require you to be in the moment, but like, like for instance, right behind the camera, it's like we said, a dance Yeah. and it's really, I'm learning the better model I become is the more I'm in the moment. And even if photographer doesn't like me, I actually don't mind. I can feel it. It's okay. I'm going to win you over. And it's a little, little glimpse here. It's this, it's that. It's boom, 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 boom. click, click, click. And it's, it's a, it's a game. Yeah. And it's a flirtation. It's, 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 even if you don't like the person or attracted to them, it's just a, it's a, it can be a battle of, of I'm going to win you over. No. Yeah. Oh, and I, and I feel like especially until recently, I feel like especially in the plus curve world, that's exactly what we had to do mm-hmm. because I, the, when I started the people I shot, I, I can name, I won't name names, mm-hmm. but I can tell you exactly who hated working with me. Mm-hmm. Like they showed up and like before they had even taken a single picture, they were like ready to just hate everything. And you they, and yeah, right away. I'm like, this person is, is upset that I'm here and they're, they like, they feel littled in some way that Belittled, they have to yeah. shoot me and and you know we work real real hard that now those people really like me i don't know or how. they don't work anymore or they don't work anymore actually that's the exact thing there's two people ever that didn't like that well the two two people that really didn't like me other people were kind of like didn't like you oh i'll You're tell so you likable i'll tell you <laughs> off mike there's two people who like really didn't like me. There's been a couple of people who were like, mm, I don't know how I feel, but there was two people that were like, did not hide it. And yeah, one of them I've, I don't see working at all anymore. Mm-hmm. And the other one I won over after like four shoots and now, now he really likes me. Yeah. So it works out like it's so, uh, it, it's, it's, but that's kind of what I like about, um, you know, the curve brawn modeling is we're kind of fighting for our place versus in a lot of the, you know, traditional like standard size modelings. Mm-hmm. It just always was. And we kind of had to fight for our, you know, our, our place in the room. Mm-hmm. We had to just be like, no, no, this is going to happen. We're going to do this and you don't, and you're going to not like it. And I'm, I'm going to make it, I'm just going to keep doing it until you do. And then eventually you will. And, but you know, we're not letting you not give us a chance. Well, I think that comes to really knowing yourself and be able to walk in a room, put those yeah. size two pants on and walk out with your butt hanging out. Oh my God. And say, I deserve to exist. I deserve to belong here. There's a place for me. Your yeah. customer is me actually. I know. I'm the one you can't, I'm, I'm the person who buys your clothes. Yes. I'm not, that's off oh, that. Oh, the, when I first started, that was the thing that drove me more nuts than anything else where I was just like, especially I'd, I'd shoot for companies that were specifically big and tall companies, <laughs> not even like their extended size. And they could not get a sample to fit oh. me. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, oh, it's, I'm literally your customer. Like, like I don't, I, you I'm have sample this. size. I know <laughs> I should be your sample yeah. size, uh, but that's just a lot of the old schoolness. So you, you, so you're, you know, staying on anywhere, people will let you couches, brownstones, all that stuff. Yeah, with I did that. I worked at Planet Hollywood as a waitress, which is the dumbest thing I've ever done oh in New York. I'm sure. I think it's only, I never had you know, any experience. So they hired me. Yeah. But I mean, I made like 40 bucks a day. Oh I was an awful God. waiter, the awful waitress. Really? But actually there was like this 
club that came every Saturday night called Black Diamonds. Okay. And I was like the head VIP waitress there. So I'd make good money there every night, every so that's, Saturday. So that's what they really did. That's, that's how awesome. I got money. But the first couple, it took me a couple of years to work as a model. It took me yeah. about three years. Yeah. And then I was trying to play basketball again. I was kind of, you know, on the fence. What am I doing with my life? Yeah. And then eventually it took off. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're with, so this is with Ford. Well, I was with Ford in Chicago. Ford and Ford New York did not like me at first. Okay. I got so many rejections. Nope. She, we already have enough black girls. Oh my God. We have this black girl and this is just like her. No need for her. And then Wilhelmina took me. Out of Denver? Am no, I? No. Denver and New York. I mean, out of New York. New York. Yeah. yeah that's Wilhelmina. what I thought. Denver Wilhelmina? I, it's, no, it said. I, I think it's one of those fake ones. Those scouting ones. I yeah. Think. I saw something that like when I, like, I, like on the internet that had your name, like Wilhelmina in Denver. And I was like, I didn't know they no. had an office in Denver. No. Still? I didn't know anyone had no. an office in Denver. But Wilhelmina, I think they have these weird scouting locations. Okay. Like Maybe that was it. Scouting schools. You pay to be a model. It's all, you know. I don't oh, know about those. Those scare me. So yeah, so I did Wilhelmina. I was there for 12 years mm-hmm. and I really grew up as a model. They really let me like nurtured me, took me in the bathroom. said, this is how you do lingerie. This is awesome. how you do this clothes and taught me the one-on-one basics of That's being a great. model. And then I left Wilhelmina and went to Ford eventually uh-huh. for six months. Yeah. And during those six months, I actually had three deaths in my family. Oh my God. All in one month. So I actually took half the year off. Jesus. And when I came back to Ford, um, from home, it suddenly closed down. Yeah. And my friend Inga, Eric's daughter, called me and said, Jules, I need to meet with you. I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, why don't we start our own group? Why don't we do our own thing? Like everyone's rushing over to the new agency, but why don't we just take our time? And actually, why don't we make a difference in this, in this plus size world? Let's just shop ourselves around because if we get the right girls, we're worth several million dollars a year. Yeah. So let's see what we can do. I was like, okay. So it meet Marquita, Marquita Pring, Ashley Graham, um, Danielle Redmond and Inga. Am I missing somebody else? That's me. No, that's five. Was, yeah, five you're, you're the fifth. <laughs> and Julie Henderson. So, yes. so it took us six months to, to commit to IMG to yeah. actually go. But we shopped around. We took our time. It was a very, very arduous time. And we, you guys went in when you were going into these uh, agency meetings. You were just like, this is an all or nothing thing. Yeah, we, we had were, a business plan. Yeah, we were worth X amount of money. Some agencies we went into, we made more than their whole board. We're like, we're five of us and you're 42. Mm-mm. We yeah. make more than your whole board. So we're like, we want to change the game. Yeah. We want to actually, well, we don't be plus size. We want to be on your main board. Mm. What can you do? And IMG gave us the most compelling offer. Mm. And we were on the main board. We had, we know labels and you see, and look at amazing. how things have changed. Oh, because of you guys. That's why I was on the main board. Uh, honestly, the only reason I was on, I'm on the men's board on mm-hmm. IMG is because that was unheard of before you guys started because everyone had a separate curve board mm-hmm. you were not there was the main board and then there was the curve board and and or and there was development but that's a thing that i don't understand <laughs> yeah. no one does i skipped the development face. process oh, yeah. so i have no idea what it is but uh <laughs> but um no and and yeah the fact that you in you guys all the women and all the women we stuck together stuck together was such a huge i mean we, we revealed how much money we made to each other which models is never do that terrible Oh, we, I feel I still won't do it with like the, the men's side is like really just getting started. And mm-hmm. there's now a couple of us who are solely making incomes mm-hmm. off of it. And I want to like the curiosity part of me wants to know their rates <laughs> so badly. Like every time I see another That's friend a big no, on no. A thing, I'm That's just a like, big oh, no, no, you never ask a model the rate. I know. But because of that, I feel like we're losing all of our leveraging power well, as a can group. Can you believe we don't have insurance? 
Oh. Like it's the, I'm so embarrassed for us. I, yeah, I, I that was it. my big thing. I remember asking, um, you know, asking my manager, Josh being like, can I get on IMG's insurance? He goes, no, that's like, no, cause you don't work for IMG. You're a private contractor. And I was like, oh, but I, I do work for you guys. <laughs> like, I mean, like, this is such a long topic too, but yeah, it's, it's like actors sag. We say it's the best insurance ever. Yeah. It's the most oh, it's affordable, yeah. but models we have not, I mean, I, I can't talk cause I haven't done it. I know. I know. There's, there's a group in California called Model Alliance mm-hmm. who is starting the process. And I really need to get more involved because I do feel like I, I know that if they're successful, I'm going to reap the benefits mm-hmm. so much because that's the thing. It's like, oh, just something as simple as health insurance would <sighs> change my whole life. But also then I get into like a deeper philosophical thing where then I start like yelling in my head. I'm like, but it shouldn't be anyone's responsibility to give me health insurance because every other industrialized country, the government provides health insurance, but yeah, our but country. But they take half your taxes too, though. I, I mean, know. I know, but like no one seems to complain. I, it, it sounds terrible to us as like as Americans because it does. It freaks me out. Like, mm-hmm. oh, taxes are like almost fifty percent. That's insane. But then, like when I go to like these Scandinavian countries, yeah. they implement. The, they're the happiest people in yeah. the entire world because they don't have anything to worry about. Do they make less money overall? Maybe, but they have nothing to worry yeah. about ever. Like the social safety net is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like to the point where even there's like, there are, I mean, there's still homeless people because there's homeless people all over the world, but even there's so much less and there's so much just because they, there's, there's such a wider net Mm -hmm. to like fall into. But anyway, yeah, no, the models were as part of like, as far as the entertainment industry goes, we are such a huge part of the industry and the fact that we are such a small impact. Yeah. The fact fact that we have no insurance, no collective bargaining power, but we would have to by actually revealing stuff like the five of us, we formed a coalition called Alda and we revealed all our business, like how much we made in the past five years, man, how much we're worth. We showed up X amount of dollars, the five of us. Oh my God. What are you going to do for us? We want to change the world. We want to change the way women see themselves. We want to, we want to be, in front of the right people. Yeah. We want to actually break the glass ceiling down. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, Inga, Eric's daughter, is the reason why the world is the way it is today. Because oh she God. was so insistent. It's like, no, guys, we can do this. She's such, she's such a business savvy woman. And that's so good of her because I know like my initial instincts would be like, yes, this sounds good. But if someone came at me with a side offer, it would be well, really hard not we to go for it. We went six months. We had four Chicago hold our charts. Yeah. And then that was all chaos in itself. And then we didn't have agency in New York. Ugh. And then we, meanwhile, there's all the other ones saying, come here, it's safe, it's safe over here, it's secure. I know. I know. And yet we're like, no, we knew, and we all knew in our guts that something was off. We had yeah. to keep on going. And IMG, yeah, they were our family. They were the most, they were the scariest. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not editorial. I don't know this. I don't know this. I know. But they've changed our lives. Yeah. No, they do an amazing thing. I always... When I used to, I have a lot of guys coming at me now, like asking about signing with mm-hmm. agencies because all these other agencies are now offering, you know, big and tall charts and whatnot. Oh, they all are? Not all, but a lot of them. Wilhelmina has one. Um, Ford doesn't, but I don't know. Ford, I don't even Are you the very first Braun model ever? It's signed by an agent. Okay. Yes. Or, I mean, I'm the first Braun model because we came up with the term Braun. Okay. So, yeah. Like, <laughs> That's IMG. So, I kind of want to go, like, I'm the first Braun model just because we're the ones who came up with that. <laughs> so, yes, I am. But, um, no, we were the first. And then after IMG, after me doing it for about a year, Wilhelmina had one. Um, State Management does mm. one. Bridge Models does it. 
Who else? I think that's, and and then like just random, you know, there's smaller agencies. Mm-hmm. Kim Dawson out in Dallas okay. has always done it. And it's like, but yeah, now it's like everyone, I remember when Wilhelmina started it, I was like, oh, the sharks are circling. <laughs> it is. People have found out that somehow through the grapevine, because like me and we had such a plan for me, like, and I, I was, I had to be so like, just ready to roll with whatever mm-hmm. because uh, Ivan Bart and Josh Stevens and Gina Rideau and um, everyone over at the men's board and everyone at the curve board because I was I'm in this I was until re, until recently well, there's I was no in curve this, board well no I mean not curve board no there is no curve board but the people who worked with the curve yes. models is yes. what I mean like I was always at this weird in between stage mm-hmm. uh, I was the first man that. Josh had ever managed like, oh, yeah. like Josh is great because, and he's unbelievable and he's been unbelievable for years he was at Wilhelmina before he was at IMG mm-hmm. and he's just absolutely incredible but I was the first man he ever managed because <laughs> he didn't I mean, he's like oh okay we'll go with this and so I always lived in this weird middle ground between the men and the women's board mm-hmm. because like even though I you know I'm on the men's board like the women's clients were the ones that were doing big and tall suits for all. Exactly. You're my date. Yeah. Exactly. The fact that I was on swimsuits for all, yeah. oh my, it, like it's, 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 it's fun and it's weird, but like, that's why I'm really thankful that IMG has always been willing to take those, those risks, those, those risks and have that long vision of stuff instead mm-hmm. of how much money can we make right now? They had, cause my first year I didn't make anything, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and I got lucky that I only, that I only had the one year of not really doing anything. Oh yeah. You're lucky. Cause other people go years. Did you have side jobs or anything? What'd you do? Yeah. I was a, I, I managed a bar. Okay. I managed a music club in, um, uh, called Rockwood Music Hall. Okay. Um, and I did a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. I went back to like my old, uh, I, my first job ever in New York City was as a singing waiter and bartender on <gasps> the Spirit of New York, which is a dinner cruise. <laughs> okay. And I went back to them more times than I could count. Yeah. Just over the years, in between theater, in between mm-hmm. this, they, like there was always they were always just nice. Where I could leave for like two years and I can come back and like, oh, can I have great. a job? And they're like, yeah, I guess you could do it for a little bit. They always needed seasonal help, yeah. so I'd always come. Oh, in. That's good. But no, yeah. And then after about a year of being there, I was able to have no other but, job. But who found you? I was disco- discovered um, uh, from a makeup artist uh, that was working for Splashlight Studios mm. uh, who was doing the Target Ecom. That's how it started. That was my first modeling. Um, and then I went in for the Target Ecom and did it. And then I just did Target. And then there was a little bit of like, an, you know, a couple of people wrote about it mm-hmm. on the blogs. And then I got an uh, Instagram. I made an Instagram because my wife told me. She's mm. like, you're a model now. You should make an Instagram. I didn't even have one. So I made one. And like a week after I made it, I got a direct message from Ivan Bart <gasps> on Instagram. He's such an innovator. He's, oh, he's always one step ahead of everybody I had an else. Instagram for like a month. Yeah. And, like, and yeah, all of a sudden he was just mm-hmm. in in the my inbox. And I, you know, responded and was like, yeah, I'll come meet with you. And. And that was it. It's crazy. It's been a the crazy journey, but I couldn't have done it without you guys. And I, I say, and I say that as wholeheartedly as I possibly can, because you guys broke down every door that like, I, I tell anyone who's like aspiring to be like a men's plus model. I, I told them like, you need to just understand that we are walking on 
ground we did not forge and we are very lucky and we have to take this seriously and we have to do it well because the women who broke down these doors for us took it very seriously and fought really really hard and were able to do it and the only reason the men's industry has a shot is honestly because people like you like all the women walked up to img and said no this is what we're worth this is what we're gonna do and so I went into my IMG meeting with them all, with just already this level of, no, we know what we know what this is worth, mm-hmm. and we and and so I I really need to thank you guys for doing that. Oh, thank that means the world to me. No, it's it's, and it's no like hyperbole at all. It's like no. we would have no shot if it wasn't for you. Well, it's funny because modeling is one of the rare industries where women are actually in their power. Yeah, we own, absolutely. We, we're, we're the first responders, so to speak. Oh, absolutely. And where men are actually second or third or fourth. Yeah. Even the money-wise, it's oh, so definitely, interesting. Definitely. It's it's the one of the only industries where the pay gap is in the opposite direction. <laughs> yes, and exactly. Which is so fine. <laughs> so, oh my God. One little anecdote. I had a friend who was a model and he, was, he did a shoot with... Um, uh, Kate Moss and he was very excited that he was shooting with Kate Moss and they were paying him $3,000 and he was super excited and somehow through the grapevine while he was on the shoot that day he found out that Kate Moss was making around 95000 that day yes. <laughs> for his 3000 Yeah, he was like wait what? Yeah, it's a big gap big pay big, gap big pay gap yeah. but listen I was bartending and cutting lawns before so this is 3000 a day? is oh, that, would, I, that would be incredible mm-hmm. we would be just happy with that uh, but Julie, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. How are we? How do we keep an eye out for um, Mama Doesn't Know coming out? Well, I'm going to be presenting her on my Instagram soon. Wonderful. So it's Julie Henderson, uh, 32. Wonderful. God, this has been an absolute joy. Thank this, you. this makes me so happy. And I remember I asked you on, well, we were sitting on a beach in Anguilla <laughs> and I was like, will you be on this podcast? And it's of taken course. us like six months to make it happen. And I couldn't be happier. Well, thank you so much for coming to my home and for just sharing so much with me. It's been my absolute pleasure. Wonderful. Everybody follow Julie Henderson. <laughs> Keep an eye out for Mama Don't Know. Mama, Mama, Mama don't, don't Know. Mama Don't Know. My mama Didn't Know. Keep an eye out for <laughs> products, for books, for everything. Workshops. Workshops. Oh, videos. Oh, see. I'm so Instagram. I Camp stories. I cannot wait to see this explode. <laughs> I am so excited for it. Thank you. Um, but thank you so much, Julie. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Please follow Julie on all of the social medias. Uh, keep an eye out for Mama Don't Know. And follow us on social media at Zach Miko, Z-A-C-H-M-I-K-O. Guys, thank you for being here. I love you so deeply. We're going to see you next week. And remember, until then, go out into the world and do big things.